Hey, this is Ron Keel, the Metal Cowboy from the Ron Keel Band, Steeler and Keel. I like a little shot of whiskey and a lot of rock and roll with my coffee. You're listening to the Rock and Roll Coffee Show. The best part of waking up is rock and roll in your cup. What's up, everyone? I'm Joe, and this is the Rock and Roll and Coffee Show, episode number 39. Now, this week, my guest is Alex Kane. Alex is uh, best known for playing guitar in the band Life, Sex, and Death. Also plays in a band called Antiproduct, which is uh, kind of like a, uh, a punk type of uh, theatrical act. You should really go check them out, Antiproduct. Alex is also the guitar player for Enough's Enough currently. And ironically, he also helped form Enough's Enough. Now, Alex had a lot to say, so I had to separate this podcast into two episodes. Now, if you're liking this podcast, please go follow us on social media. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at R&R Coffee Show. You can also find us at our website, rnrcoffeeshow.com. We appreciate the support, and I hope you enjoy this conversation with Alex Kane. Hello? Mr. Alex Kane, how are you, buddy? I'm doing very well. How about yourself, buddy? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Um, I'm here with my brother-in-law, Josh. He's joining us today. Howdy, howdy. Brother-in-law, Josh here. My brother-in-law, Josh. Now, is your first name brother-in-law and your family name is Josh? No, Josh. Josh, just Josh. That works, too. Oh, see, I thought his first name was brother-in-law also. What do you know? We learned something already. Yeah. How you... yeah you're like, hey, wait a minute. I don't even know this. <laughs> I just hear the wife talk about him, brother-in-law. So, How are you? Exactly. Uh, say it one more time. How are you? Uh, you know, uh, I'm 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 no different than anybody else that anybody in the world knows. I'm just trying to make heads or tails out of this confusing mess that we as a species have found ourselves in. And um, I, unlike some, am using that knowledge to try to behave in compassion and unity. And not allow weak and broken people to try to separate me from not only uh, my my fellow countrymen, but the citizens of the world. Um, so having said that, that's sort of an all-encompassing philosophical answer to uh, your first question. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, I, I'm, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's a case of adapt or die right now. Correct. And, exactly. Um, and particularly in our field, 
You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, what do I do? I go on the road. I play guitar in six different bands, all of whom are my favorite people that I get to hang out with, let alone play with. Um, And for the most part, that was my income stream in any given year. And, you know, I produce, I'm a songwriter and I do TV work and stuff as well. Um, which is great when they're making TV shows and there's tours going on and people are going into the studio to make records that I can help them with. Um, but once all of those things are taken away, you can either bitch about the circumstances or you can figure out a way to be smart and continue to do what you love without sacrificing quality. And ideally, as this is absolutely a shared experience through all of humanity, um, I feel the necessity for music um, of quality, integrity, where the listener knows the artist didn't take their time on earth for granted. Pet peeve of mine when Mm. people waste fucking time, dude. I just... I patience is for people that are going to live forever. And I don't know anybody that can say they're going to live forever. So um, I'm not a big acolyte of patience because it demands that I slow down to make sure that the rest of the herd can keep up rather than expecting more from the rest of the herd. Um, That's a good point. So I'm not really a big proponent of patience. I think it's a way of saying, you know, just accept mediocrity because sometimes that's what you're going to get. Well, that's not why I dedicated my life to rock and roll. Right. I dedicated my life to rock and roll to get shit done, to let the people... Uh, my life, what I do, though there is glamour attached to it from a, uh, 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 uh external subjective viewpoint, you know what I mean? I mean, I've been a professional musician for 35 years now, right? I've been, well, actually a little bit longer. Um, I've been on tour since I was 18 years old, right? That's awesome. Um, and, and you know, and like I've always, you know, I'm from Chicago, right? So like we're basically like really arrogant farmers. I think we know everything, <laughs> but we know we're still kind of like rubbish in a way, but that allows us to overcompensate by working. The Midwestern work ethic is a thing, you know, we're... We're we're humble and have enough low self-esteem to really push ourselves to excel, Hmm. which is why, I mean, I can name you so many people from Chicago that have gone on to, you know, do really uh, remarkable things in the uh, quote-unquote entertainment field, you know, like Tyler Tyler Bates, who he's an A-list Hollywood composer. And, um, for example, the last movie he scored was Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Hmm. And he did one before that. Me and him grew up together playing guitar in rival bands. Really? Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, you know, I'm, I'm back in Enough Enough now. And, you know, me and Chip started playing together at first. It was probably, like, 86 or 87. Um, and we hadn't done anything. You know what I mean? We were still full of piss and vinegar and bravado and having to make up stories about our exploits to justify our existence, let alone our dreams. Um, and uh, uh, the last time I, I did a show with the guys, because I don't, you know, I'm taking care of mom now. She's 81 right. years old. So for me, for me to go out and the dog. Um, and the dog. Okay. Yeah. And, and which, I mean, like the thing, 
the one thing that I've been consistently exceedingly responsible about is the avoidance of responsibility. So I have no kids, you know what I mean? Right, right. I, 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 you know, I was like, yeah, I'm going to play guitar and I know how fucked up I am. So there's like no reason to ruin someone else's life with my insanity, you know? Right. So I, and, and, you know, and like, I like others, other people's kids. Cause like I'm the weird uncle with the face tattoos that swears in public and whatever. Um, I'm like dad, you know, who's trying to show him the right, right thing. Right. Um, so, you know, I, I whip them all up into a frenzy and, you know, and like, yeah, shit, I have a cigarette. You have a shot and I'm smoke, bro. You're five. It's about time you got some hair on your chest. Um, so, uh, 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 um, uh, Anyway, we we'd not um, we'd not done anything, and uh, the last time we played, that was my train of thought. Because when it's just like one or two shows, you know, I mean, I got to get a caretaker for mom when I'm right. gone, and that's going to cost money. And then I'm away for three days, and then like that, you know what I mean? And it's not like, and the pay isn't great, you know what I mean? Right, so I've had right. to make some hard decisions about sort of prioritizing family versus my own need for <laughs> adulation or jumping yeah. around or whatever, you know. Um, and that sort of gets back to the responsible thing. So here I am now at 55 and, you know, after touring since I was 18 and, you know, party, party, party. And I mean, I've always worked my dick off. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it's all, I've never missed a deadline. I've never flaked on anybody. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I know even when I was in my 20s, my early 20s, I was like, this is serious business. It's not about pussy and drugs. If you do that, that's fine. You know, you have your own off-ramp for that. But I, I got to make some really good music to hopefully not only fill the hole in myself that connection with other people can bring me. Like, I don't write songs for you to love me. I write songs to prove to myself that I'm not alone and there are other people that feel the way I do. Mm -hmm. right. So like the one goth kid in, you know, South Carolina in the one town that doesn't, you know, that still thinks it's 1984 and goth people, you know, are evil or whatever. Um, and I don't know if that's the case. I'm just sort of making a hypothetical, you know, <laughs> right, right, so, right. So the, 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 the freaks and the misfits are the lifeblood of rock and roll. And uh, the other thing is, um, even though it's a life of selfish dedication to art, um, the, and I believe this to be true, and it's very politically incorrect, but you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah whatever. Um, exactly. And you know, I'm not. And 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 just to make it clear, um, uh, I am not saying political correctness has anything to do with people saying the N word. Right? Mm. That's not cool. Unless you went through the experience, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like uh, a, a, a German guy can't go up to a Jewish guy and use the K word. It's right. No, you know, regardless. And, you know, and Jewish people don't refer to themselves that way. And that's a whole different social paradigm. But you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, but I do not use the N word. So when I say, because um, it's because I don't, I no one in my family was ever raped and held in cages to be used as livestock. It is not my social experience. So I definitely can't pass judgment on people's who it was. You sure. know? So when I say politically incorrect, 
I'm saying when people, when a lot of times when musicians get sober, they kind of start sucking. A lot of them. Yeah. You know, not across the board. And you know what? Here's the thing about that. Yeah, okay, so Eric Clapton, it was kind of like, okay, now I'm a grown-up blues guy and, you know, and blah, 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 blah. Um, and for the quality of their lives, I understand you need to get off the heroin when you're 65. <laughs> you yeah, know what I mean? that would help, yeah. Unless you're Keith Richards, in which case you wait until you're 70. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, so there's that, you know, the sort of pirate alien life form thing that is part and parcel of being a musician, the pirate aspect of it, um, uh, uh, never undermines the art, at least in my case, the art, the artistic need to continue to make music of quality. Whether or not you love it, I don't care. I'm trying to challenge you. Right? Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, I, I don't, you guys know about life, sex and death at all? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm hmm. Okay, so that was a band that I was in, and you know, and, and the singer and the dancing and all that stuff and everything. Um, and we were we uh, people that lacked depth and lacked depth, depth and uh, nobody likes depth. Uh, that lacked <laughs> depth and were comfortable with the status quo. Hugely disliked life, sex, and death. Yeah. Right. And what they don't realize is we took that as the biggest compliment anybody could give us. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. We were there to break eggs. We didn't get this, you know, described as, but not what he was. That was right. other people that called him a homeless guy. He was doing performance art, trying to fix a terrible hole inside of himself. And he went because he came from a very opulent family. So he was trying to, because everybody, because they, they were rich and are rich. Right. And everyone he knew viewed him as an ATM. Ah, Chris is a lot of money. We'll just glom onto him and blah, 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 blah. And, and, and it's one aspect of the persona, but the people that lack, you know, creativity to a certain extent or, uh, or, you know, critics always need to prove that the money mom and dad spent on sending them to a college to get their English lit thing to only end up not writing the next great American novel, but reviewing what I've chosen to do with my life. Mm -hmm. They got to justify their existence by taking a shit on people that are ready to take a chance, right? Yeah. It's like, well, you know, I went to school and I'm not going to write the great American novel, so I got to shit all over this guy because he doesn't look like David Lee Roth. Right. <laughs> Where it's like, well, before David Lee Roth, I mean, okay, there was Jim Dandy, but I mean, it's a rare archetype that he created, the persona of David Lee Roth. And again, like, if you look at David Lee Roth and you go, now there's a crazy party guy. It's like, no, he's a genius selling you a character of a crazy party did, guy. Did um, Chris have the Stanley character from the start? Um, well, we had, I don't know how familiar with um, what like the the lineage or the history of the band are you guys? I don't know. Well, put it this way. I had the cassette tape back when they made cassettes. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and yeah. then I got... Which the... actually, uh, if I may interrupt for yeah. a second, the one part of the music industry, and this is because kids, right? Young people now. 
they're the one part of the music industry that's growing aside from vinyl is cassette now. Does so they, it really? they got all the vinyl they, and they refer to them as vinyls and, and we are fully within our rights to go. They are not called vinyls. Like you don't call <laughs> CDs plastics. Right. Right. Uh, they're not called vinyls. They're called records. You're holding a record. Refer to it such as such because you just seem like a tourist when you call it a vinyl. <laughs> it's great that you got Sergeant Peppers. I love that. I love that you're looking at the gatefold, but it's a record. Right. Right. <laughs> but yeah. So so I had the cassette. Um, but I did. I don't know like your early history and stuff. So before we were life, sex, and death. Um, I mean. Uh, uh, before we were Life, Sex, and Death, we were a band called um, Bottoms Up. Okay. And it was myself, Chris, pretty Chris, um, uh, uh, Billy on bass, and Brian was on the drums. And uh, uh, the fifth member, Dave, who was the other guitar player in addition to myself, um, he actually went on to be a psychoanalyst. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And... Uh, I, that tells you a little bit about what it was like to be in the vortex of the four of us. So he went on to be an analyst um, and, and became a very successful one. He, mm-hmm. he, he did a great, you know, he's, he's led a happy life and he's really happy with his choices he made. So that's, good, you know, good for him. So, you know, yeah, when somebody gets like into the finish line or whatever, you're like, good call. Well, yeah. Good for you. Hope for all of us. Um, and then, um, and that was actually. Well, no, it was the second band I was in. Because, again, I mean, now, I mean, like, I'm, well, wait a minute, hang on, 80, when would it have been, 80? So, yeah, I was probably like 19. Mm. Um, And um, uh, so we had Bottoms Up. That was the second band I was ever in. I played in a band before that called No Excuse, which was sort of a, um, you know, Midwestern power pop band where there was like, you know, we had heavy songs and the rest was very sort of you know catchy poppy you know the strawberries right. um yeah. uh, big star but you know more rock and roll because it's the 80s this would have been 85 and my first show actually that i ever played was uh filmed for television your first <laughs> oh, show wow. yeah no exactly exactly where i mean and you only gather this um perspective with the benefit of time right yeah like when you're a kid, you're just doing what you do. But when you're like a 55 year old man and you've been playing your whole damn life and touring and you've never had any stability or any that kind of stuff. Um, uh, that's when you can look back with the perspective and be like, man, every gig I ever had, I was just dropped in the deep end. So first it was, uh, uh, it was this band, no excuse. The bass player was a guy named Lizzie Valentine, who then went on to start a band called The Malls. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So my first band was me and Lizzie Artianis, who's passed away, unfortunately, due to cancer. Wonderful man. Brilliant musician. Uh, I just saw the video the other day. Somebody sent me, uh, hey, wasn't this the first gig? And, you know, I saw Art, so immediately, obviously. Oh, I'm man. Misty about it. Um, but it was at that same show where uh, uh, Billy, Lizzie's real name, um, he was still Billy at the time, and uh, Billy DePaul, not Billy Gar. Um, and uh, he kept telling me about, um, oh, you got to meet my friend Chris. He's so charismatic, and he's a great singer, and he's a great front man. And, you know, and again, going back to the arrogant farmer thing from before, I'm kind of like, okay, yeah, okay, you right. got. I'm look, I'm and I'm 18 years old over here. I have all the answers. I don't think 
Um, uh, Chris came out to that show, my first gig that was filmed for TV, blah, 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 blah. And um, so, you know, when I saw him in the audience, I noticed him right away. It wasn't like the room was packed or anything. And, uh, but, you know, he had a presence, absolutely. And so after the show, um, uh, uh, Lizzie, Billy, um, goes, hey, I want you to meet Chris. He's here and blah, 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 and so on and so forth. So I went over to Chris and we talked. And, you know, it was just very, I knew he was an extremely intelligent guy. Um, I knew he was a charismatic guy. I knew he was a special person. You know, you just sort of develop that sense. Um, I knew he was a very special, unique guy. Um, but we didn't totally click. I kind of thought, ah, you're a little bit uppity, you pompous sack of shit. You know, but it's just because, you know, he went to great schools and he had plenty of money. Sure. And, you know, I was like a street kid trying to make ends meet and everything. Um, so anyway, shortly after that show, no excuse kind of came up short. I don't remember what happened. And then, um, and then Chris got a hold of me or, or Lizzie called me or somebody and, Hey, they want you to come down and they want to know if, uh, uh, you know, you might jam with them. And so this is, you know, maybe March of that same year after my December, was my first show and I guess it was 84, I'm guessing. Um, and then, so by 85, by like March or so, and these, I'm just guessing, but it was in yeah. rapid succession, what I'm about to describe. Um, uh, then I was in bottoms up and, you know, I've always been very serious about showing up being cheap trick, showing up being kiss, not showing up being a second rate bar band. Right. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Always. I was, I was, always i viewed our competition in any band i've ever been in not as the dude that's dating your ex-girlfriend but it unless you know the only case that that would have been the case would have been if that dude was steven tyler so i always <laughs> compared us right. we're not we're not going for you know gypsy teaser from you know the rehearsal room across the street we're going for the big boys and and right away in Bottoms Up, even though we were young, dumb, full of cum, and just ready to explode over anything, <laughs> um, uh, we we practiced daily. We took that very seriously. We we nobody ever flaked on rehearsal, and I was you know the oldest guy in the band by like two years. So these were all still teenagers as I was approaching twenty. You know, yeah. Um, but we but we took it super serious, and then we started playing out, and we got ourselves a little bit of a following. And then there was some ridiculous, unprofessional nonsense that I just didn't need to deal with. And, you know, here I am again, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a 20 year old, but I'm like, all right, these guys really got to get their shit together because I'm wasting my time here yeah. <laughs> before I know what I'm going to so, do. So you knew what you wanted to do from the beginning, pretty much. Uh, I can even tell you the exact specific series of events, if that doesn't bore the living shit out of you. Nah, um, no, please, this please. is great. I saw Kiss on Rock and Roll Over, and and I was super little. I don't even know what year that came out in, but I'm like 13 or 12 or something, right, approximately. Uh-huh. And I didn't, they were superheroes from another world, so I couldn't see myself doing that, right? But I knew I loved the power, I loved the allure, I loved the attention, I loved the volume, I loved the spectacle i love the happiness that the show is bringing these fifteen thousand brothers and sisters that have come together in the name of rock and roll i promise you this is a sidebar anybody that disagrees with me politically 
I know we can be friends because we were at the same ACDC concert, maybe even standing next to each other, banging our fucking heads when they paid, played sure. back in black. We can get along. We just need to not listen to these scumbags that would tell us. Otherwise, sidebar over. So (laughs) (laughs) I saw Kiss, um, and I was like, man, that's that's fucking cool. Then shortly after that, maybe 77, I don't know. I I mean, it it was a couple of weeks ago. Um, (laughs) But I went and saw Stars at the Aragon Ballroom, and you guys might even appreciate this bill. So the bill, in order, and this will tell you if you're uh, as big a nerd as I am, but the bill in order, and I want to see what bells are rung. First on was Piper. Piper, no. I'm not familiar with Piper. That was the band that Billy Squire came up with. Oh! Gotcha. Piper. And they do have a great song called Telephone Exchange. Really cool pop tune. Uh Um, And their second album actually can't wait. There is some unbelievably cool rock and roll on there. Piper can't wait. I do recommend people check that out. Anyway, so the bill was Piper, followed by The Runaways. Right. Okay. Right, yeah. Yeah. Then on came Stars, and then the headliner was Angel. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and, you know, I'm still really, really young. And I'm like, yeah, Piper was pretty cool, you know. But, I mean, they weren't blowing shit up or flying through the air. And none of their guitars had laser beams. And I'm like, yeah, no, it was a a good band, but it wasn't Kiss. And they were actually managed by Auckland as well, incidentally. Um, uh, Then the Runaways. And obviously now, you know, I'm in my teens. So you throw some, you know, older women in front of me. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Right, I'm like, oh my god, this is this is as close as I've ever gotten to <laughs> actual boobs. Um, and so, you know, that was fun, but it didn't like slaughter me, right? But the next thing did. So this is back in the '70s. So this is before people started getting precious about sixty cycle hums and shit. Yeah. Like amps hummed. It was just the thing. The electricity in the places these guys were playing was built in the fucking 20s. It was no big deal. Nobody said, you know, I really didn't like Led Zeppelin because I could hear there was a speaker buzz coming off the Jimmy Page's ear. Nobody said that ever. You just said, oh, my God, how does he hold the, the violin bow in the air and it looks like he's the most important person on earth. <laughs> right. So anyway, so the amps are humming cause it's bad electricity in the place. And you saw the smoke filling up the stage and you saw the lights on the amps glowing and that's all you saw. And then you saw Michael Lee Smith, the greatest frontman in the history of rock and roll bar none, whether or not people know it, the influence this man has, over people my age, mm-hmm. the band in general stars, um, start talking about people my age and who are playing rock and roll, what they think about stars. And you talk to Ginger from the Wild Hearts and you talk to Ryan Roxy and you talk to on and on and on and on and on. We all grew up listening to stars. That's why we're all cheap trick fans. We all lost our virginity to Dream Police. Oh. <laughs> you know, literally. I mean, literally. Uh, like, you know, if I'm talking, you know who Ginger is from the Wild Hearts? Oh, yeah. I love the Wild Hearts. Yeah, well, because me and him had a band together when I was living in England called Clam Abuse. I don't know if you knew about that. I did know about that. You did? Yeah, that was more of a, 
to me, it, it reminded me of kind of uh, like Ween, maybe. Yeah. Well, I mean, here's the difference, and I'm sorry, I'm just shooting all over. Nah, the place no, no, this is great. There's no no problem at all. Um, there's a there's a a vast, and I'm not denigrating anybody because just like everything, we all have our strengths and we all have our weaknesses, right? So, England, the population and the landmass is the same as California, okay? So, you go through the annals of rock and roll. Okay, we got the Beach Boys, we got Van Halen, we got uh, Chili Peppers, James Addiction, The Doors, um, who, you know, the California sound, which was never violent enough for me, and I'm talking about, you know, the mamas and the papas, you know, I'm from the right, generation. Right, yeah, that. Yeah. And, like, who else am I missing? Man, who's, like, Molly Crew, okay, um, uh, uh, and I'm sort of running out of earth-shattering bands, right? I mean, who am I forgetting that changed the world that came out of L.A.? Van Halen. I said Van Halen. Did you say Van Halen? I, I said, said Van, Van Halen. Halen. So you see, so but this is we both face the same dilemma now. We're yeah. repeating the bands that we can agree yes, change the I world. I got you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So same landmass, same population. The Beatles, Queen, Elton John. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sex Pistols. You just keep going and going and going and going and going and going. And Elton John. And uh, did I say Queen already? Yes. Queen. It, you know what I mean? You just it just keeps coming and coming and coming. And having lived there for a decade, and it was you know to 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 give credit where credit is due, uh, Ginger was a big fan of Life, Sex, and Death, and the amalgam of heavy metal riffs and major key power pop melodies um, uh, with harmonies. You know the irony of it, right? Right. Um, uh, resonated with him, and then it sort of gave him the blueprint for what the Wild Hearts would be, which would be like a cheap trick-based band with metal riffs. Mm-hmm. And I know, and I know, when I went over there and started playing, and people started hearing my music, and to God, I'm not making this up, they would go, "You know what?" You guys really sound a lot like the Wild Hearts did. <laughs> so, why did you go over yeah, there? I'm, like, I'm sorry. Why did you go over there? Um. Uh, well, that's uh, you know, uh, I, I've been fortunate <laughs> to have a storied life. So, um, I made an album for Hollywood Records uh, with a, uh, and you guys may even remember him because he was a phenomenon for you know his 15 minutes there. But there was a VJ on MTV called. Jesse Camp. Do you yep, remember yeah, that name? I do. Mm-hmm. Okay. He, he was kind of the... Didn't he have like the wild hair and... Yeah, yeah. yeah. And okay. he was like the... You know, he, he said he was like a street kid. Um, and, um, you know, and he had the routine and, you know... And that was all a put on. He... And this is where I come into play. Um, he came from a very wealthy family. He assumed this street kid character. He went to the audition, got the job as being a street kid and perpetuated that image because he thought if they discovered that his real name was Josiah Holden Camp III and both of his parents were, one was a headmaster at a college and the other was a professor at a different college and he was extremely intelligent and well-educated and he came from money and all of that stuff, it would undermine his credibility. And he was also a life, sex, and death fan, and he'd heard the stories about Chris's back. I was going to say, very similar to Stanley. 
So when Rick Browdy, who's one of my dearest friends and who's done more for me as a person and as a professional musician than just about anybody I can think of, next to my friend Barry Squire, who signed Life Sex and Death. Um, and now I must add Richard Black and uh, Robert Marshall from Shark Island, because mm-hmm. these guys, I mean, the the gratitude that I have to them, and I will say this as well, just once again to go to this point, there are no more people politically opposite than myself and Bob and Richard, mm-hmm. right? We are on opposite ends of the political spectrum, and we are best friends, and we trust each other, and we respect each other, we acknowledge our differences, and don't use that as a tool to try to make ourselves feel better about ourselves or to diminish the importance of the other guy in our lives, yeah. right? We can get along, and we are uh, as opposite. as well, My best friend, and I can't go into too many deals, uh, details, but my best friend's a cop, mm-hmm. right? And he's definitely, and he was military, career military before that. So this man has seen nothing but the worst that humanity has to offer right. consistently. Am I liberal? Yes, I am. Do I have guns? Fuck yeah, I have guns. Do I want to have guns? No. Am I being responsible by having guns so I can protect myself from other people that have guns that are bad guys? Absolutely. Do I wish it were different? Absolutely. And it was, it was my buddy, and I don't want to use his name just because of stuff, but um, uh, he's the one that illuminated me. I don't want you out there with guns, man. You're my best friend. And he goes, Alex, and this is a quote. He goes, Alex, you think I want people to have guns, but the bad guys aren't going to give them back. Right. And I went, holy shit, that's totally accurate. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And in that, in that one minute right there that explained it to me, even though I am leaning left with my politics, I'm not a moron and I see common sense and I can acknowledge it. And I'm not going to stand on some political dogma when I'm, when, when facts are staring me in the face. right? Right. So I was like, Holy crap, you're right. You're right. Changed my whole view. Now I'm a responsible gun owner. I'm in, in Arizona now, so you can have guns and, and I love them. It's like yoga to me when I go shooting. And and everybody I go shooting with is right wing. I'm the token liberal. And when I keep telling these guys, I'm like, guys, I'm fucking liberal. You should hate me. Yeah. What they all do, they all rush to go, no, 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 you're more a libertarian. And I go, dude, I would never join a club that would have me as a member. I'm none of these things. Right, I right. mean, that's why we can get along. But no, you're a libertarian. You're not a liberal. Like, they can't hear it, you know. Uh, uh, and I don't care. Titles, whatever, we're people. It's the titles that make people dress up in costumes and yell slogans that other people wrote for them across the street at each other. Stupid. Right, right. Fucking stupid nonsense. You're Americans. This whole country is built on the fact it's okay to be different. That's why we are here. Can we be Americans instead of tribes like back in the middle ages yeah that's what we're turning into yeah it ain't us wanting to do it it's somebody doing it to us right and that's all i'm going to say about that anyway well well, let me let me ask you this let me ask you this so back in chicago when you met stanley i mean whose idea was it to start a band together Uh, well he wasn't stanley then he was chris stan 
right? Right, right. And, yeah, and one of the one of the the bits. You now people talk about. You know, I, I I I just today I read a review that was real dismissive of the band, and I'm like. Well, thank fucking God Marilyn Manson disagreed with your review because he literally started the band at a life, sex, and death show in Florida when he was still Brian Warner. Him yeah. and Stanley became really good friends. Yeah, so he was um, a fan, huh? Oh, my God. Slipknot? Seriously, dude, I had Corey Taylor. I was doing one of those uh, um, uh, 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 bowling things for Ronnie uh, James Dio. Mm-hmm. You know, the bowling for cancer. It's, uh, my yeah, buddy yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Somebody. Get the name of it. Um, so anyway, so you know, I, I was down there playing, and, and it was actually me and Johnny Martin. We were on the same lane, and neither one of us is good bowlers. But anyway, <laughs> um, so this dude comes racing across the floor towards me. Now everybody standing around me kind of backs up a little bit, and I'm like, "Whoa, is this going to get weird? What's this? Is going to get flagged here?" And uh, um, uh, anyway, so to the the guy comes up to me. He was younger than me, so I can. You know, I call him kid. I don't call him kid. Who is, but you know, I yeah, yeah, yeah. So the kid comes up to me, and uh, you know, we're talking. Oh man, I'm a big fan, and you know, I, I just you're, you're the the reason uh, that I even started in music, and I don't recognize him. You know, I just think like, ah, oh, what a nice, you know, what a nice gesture of the guy. Um, uh, uh, you know, uh, you, your band is the reason that I started playing, and you know, and we knew if you guys could make it out of the Midwest, that we could get something going. Wow. Uh, now I don't know if that was an insult or a compliment. Like, <laughs> it be red. It's like we knew if you could get signed, anybody could. But uh, anyway, well, that's so, awesome, though. You know, I, I, he goes, "Can I take a picture with you?" And I'm like, "Yeah, sure, kid." You know, and I'm looking at Johnny now, and I'm like, "Ah, this, how cute is this, right?" <laughs> um, uh, uh, Johnny Martin is uh, uh, one of my best buddies. But um, anyway, um, so. Uh, the kid in quotes walks away and now all the people that I was bowling with now they kind of start coming back towards me right and and I'm like okay all of this is really perplexing what is going on here right now and then I think it was Johnny maybe it was Ace I don't remember who it was but you know one of my good friends goes uh, do you know who that was I'm like I don't know a life sex and death fan I guess <laughs> Corey Taylor from Slipknot uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. Because I'd never seen him yeah. without the mask. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. And I'm like, that's the singer from Slipknot. <laughs> you should have said Are that's not what he looks like. Me that our band started his band. So the people, I mean, okay, granted, you can call Manson gimmicky, you can call Slipknot gimmicky, but you know what's really interesting about the people that get cast with the gimmick aspersion? It's okay as long as you do devil shit, you can have a gimmick. But the minute you stray from the accepted path of rebellion, right? It's easy to be dark. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Manson, typo, Slipknot. I get it. I get it. It's another form of TV. Now, I love those bands. Don't get me wrong. I'm not shitting on yeah, them. Right. I'm just saying we were arrogant farmers that didn't want to be like the other reindeer, right? right? right. Um. And, and I mean, literally, like, I mean, when I went on tour, I was in the band that supported Slash and the Conspirators, and his whole band were Life, Sex, and Death fans. So Todd nice. and Brent and, and uh, Todd and I are buddies now, and, and, you know, but they were just, like, effusive in their praise. Now, you have to remember, in after I did Jesse's album, 
um, uh, I co-wrote it and played guitar on it, and I was his sort of. When the other adults in the room weren't treating him with the kind of respect that I think all people deserve who are trying to do something, um, I would take him under my wing because he was still he was nineteen at the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, right? just a baby. Yeah, yeah, and he's like forty now. And when I hear that, I'm like, holy <laughs> shit! Like, what am I a hundred? Um, but I'm still full of piss and vinegar. And as long as you date age inappropriately, you know what I mean. I go out with girls half my age. You take your age, you take their age, you add it together, you divide it by two. I've been as young as thirty-five, and twenty-four is my cutoff point. So <laughs> I'm still legal, and you know, I, I drain them of their youth and leave them uh, shelves of the women they were. <laughs> um, I'm kidding about that part. I got, you. Of course. I got you. But not according to them. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, uh, you know, so I would kind of take him under my wing and I'd go, hey, buddy, let's go outside and smoke some weed. Because I knew that he was being treated like shit. So we would go outside and he's like, what are these people doing to me, Alex? All I'm trying to do is make a record. I'm like, just, they're, they're grownups, man. Don't worry about it. Just do your thing. Feel what you got to feel. All... And this goes for all musicians. The only thing, the only guarantee that we have of success is the intensity and integrity that we make the music with mm-hmm. for ourselves. And anybody that may or may not hear it, but the likelihood of everybody hearing it is infinitesimal, right? So you got to be doing it for the quality of the work. And that's yeah. how you guys were right from the start. Oh, absolutely. Well, I mean, it's 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 part and parcel of, and and this is going to sound like ego. And believe me, I've spent the entirety of my life trying to go for excellence to eradicate the ego as much as possible. Right. Right. I play as hard as I do because I want people to know. I am you. I am. I am pushing myself as hard as I possibly can because you guys are not my ATMs. You guys are my confirmation bias that I'm not the only person like me. So when people resonate with the way that I perform or the way I play or how I am in my life, uh, it it allows me to be as humble as I can be. So when I go on stage, I can be the opposite. Mm-hmm. So. I'm I only carry ego and in, in any sense of quote unquote rock stardom. So the audience can, I set the tone with my body language. Mm-hmm. And if I show them, I am willing to go this far to express myself physically, to let you know, I was, I am grateful that you didn't stay at home and watch Netflix, mm-hmm. but instead you came out on in the freezing cold on a Tuesday to see me with enough's enough in the middle of no fucking where um, I'm going to throw down like you've never seen anybody throw down. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that allows me then to be sort of rational and as humble as my personality will allow off stage. Right. Right. Because right. I get I get my yayas out on stage, so I don't need right. to sure. carry it around me sure. like when I was a kid. So were you yeah. were you now life, sex and death when you met Chris, was that before Enough's Enough or after? Well, uh Life Sex and Death was after enough. Bottoms up 
the sequence went getting back to that part of the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the sequence went bottoms up. Then I was headhunted by what was, uh, and this sort of ties back into like I've always been in the breach. So like intensity is my life's blood. You know what I mean? Pressure. I love pressure. <laughs> right. Um, and so my actually I missed one. The first gig that I ever had that was professional was with a band called, uh, was with a Chicago DJ called Steve Dahl. Now, you may not remember the name, but do you remember the disco demolition at Comiskey Park where all the fans rushed onto the field and and there was a, somebody blowing up disco records? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, that was yeah, yeah. That's, that was Steve Dahl. Okay. Oh, so he was first, the one who started that stunt. Okay. Well, it was his stunt. Nice. Yeah. Okay. It was him. Yeah. And you know, it worked. And he yeah, it was huge. Cover all. It was huge. Yeah, it was huge. Exactly. It worked. It got him in trouble, but it made him a superstar. And you know, he definitely predated uh, Howard Stern by miles. So you know, Steve Dahl. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That, that was in like the late seventies, wasn't it? Well, somewhere nah, right well, around I there. Didn't, I didn't play with him until the eighties. So I mean, okay. I was still, okay. I was still too young to do anything when the disco demolition thing I happened. Gotcha. But my first paid gig was with him, and you know, and I went from doing shows with you know bottoms up and no excuse in front of nobody to now I'm playing in front of twelve hundred people, and that's all in the space of a few months, right? Mm-hmm. So. You know, I just had to adapt or die, roll with it. Yeah. But so that was the first thing. And then, um, uh, uh, and then bottoms fit in there somewhere, probably around the same time, actually, where I had the two concurrent gigs. But bottoms up didn't pay shit, obviously. You know, we were a local band. Steve Dahl, you got $75 per show. Not bad. <laughs> that was big. Not bad. Yeah, well, you know what I mean? When you're 20 or yeah. 19 yeah, or whatever, yeah. I don't even remember what year it was. It's like, oh my God, I made $150 <laughs> for playing guitar this weekend. Uh, you know, and it was also, and it was my first sort of realization that profile factors into the momentum of success, right? Yeah. So now I'm playing with Chicago's biggest DJ. So right after that, and you know, and the bottoms up thing was going, and then there was a band in Chicago that uh, uh, was the biggest band in the Midwest at the time, and it was a band called Holland that had a record out on Atlantic. Now, are you familiar with Holland? I am not. I am not either. Okay, so the, the one thing to know about it is Tommy Holland the singer was a cross between Rod Stewart and Robin Zander. Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. And, and Interesting. so he was, except for the substance abuse and continued sequence of self-destructive bad decisions, mm, yeah. which he, he was, that's part of the Chicago curse where you do the exact wrong fucking thing at the wrong fucking time. Oh, you know geez. what I mean? Yeah. And enough has done that innumerable times. Oh, yeah. Not chips. But Donnie, I mean, it's like there's, it's kind of like, you know, he warms his hands in the winter on the bridges he's burned. Um, but, uh, uh, and I love him and he's a genius, but stable, balanced people don't make good rock and roll. Fair it's a point. thing, right? Um, going back to the thing, like if you're, you know, I mean, yeah, don't kill yourself with drugs and booze and whatever the hell you might do. 
But don't be afraid to be Han Solo either, but just know that you tether yourself and come back home, you know. Yeah. So anyway, so Holland uh, uh, had grown out of a band called The Bees, um, which had a deal on Epic. Um, uh, Tommy was the singer of that. And then he came, that didn't happen. They got an American bandstand or whatever. But he, remarkable singer, incredibly charismatic dude. Uh, but, you know, he had the self-destructive Chicago thing about him. Mm-hmm. Um, and the guitar player that I replaced, and again, like, I'm, so this, I'm at 20 now, because it's 1985, right? The, and it's this, this is all in the same year, mind, okay? Oh, goodness. <laughs> goodness. Um, and the guitar player that I replaced was a guy called Michelangelo Badio. Mm-hmm, okay. Right? And he was already in his 30s, and I had just barely hit my 20s. And I grew up listening to the Ramones and Cheap Trick, and yeah, I had Van Halen and Queen and whatever in my diet. But what specifically was speaking to my generation was this new energy, right? Like, that was my music, punk rock. When Cheap Trick first came out, we didn't know if they were a metal band or a punk band or a power pop band. And they were from just down the street from where I lived. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? A mm-hmm. hundred miles from my ground zero. Um, and so anyway, and, and, and Holland was actually managed by Ken Adamani, which was Cheap Tricks manager uh, at the time. And um, so anyway, so Holland came to me and, you know, we're losing our guitar player and we've heard good things about you. I haven't even been into the recording studio at this point. Yeah. They're all already in their 30s. I just hit 20, right? I don't think actually I had yet hit 20 because my birthday is in June and the first show is in March or May. So I was 19. And now I'm playing with these guys. It's the biggest band in the Midwest. Anywhere that we played, 1,200 people would show up, right? Nice. And I get but you only know that that's weird after playing for 10 years subsequently to three people in the audience. (laughs) You know what I mean? You need the one to be able to go, Oh my God, I was right. I was just off and running. Um, before you realize how you pay dues to develop the skill set where you can walk on stage anywhere and hit it like a light switch and go, now I'm Alex Kane, the entertainer. Mm-hmm. Turn it off. Okay, now I'm the guy selling T-shirts and grateful that you came, you know. Um, uh, so then I got headhunted by Holland, and, and that lasted for, I'm going to say, like two or three years. And okay. then, um, subsequent to that, then Chip asked me to join Enough's Enough. And... Uh, you know, because Holland was bigger than Zenough was, and Steve Dahl was bigger than Zenough. So again, it was like a, you know, a profile thing that he was hoping. And actually, the guys that Tommy signed with to manage him, I started a band with Chip and this guy, Greg Potter, who's an unbelievable drummer. Um, he's replaced Buddy Rich in the Buddy Rich Orchestra. Mm-hmm. So he's good. Um, so I, I got Potter... Um, a Chicago legend, uh, Chip, Chicago legend, Tommy, definitely a Chicago legend, the singer. But none of us had done shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Tommy was like the cool guy because he'd had two record deals at that point. But Tommy's manager, and I was the musical director even before I knew what that was, uh, then ended up being an Us and Us manager. Okay. So that's, that's how that whole there. thing yeah. 
and, and the other interesting thing, and I just remembered this, Tori actually sort of, tw- uh, the other guitar player in, in Enough, and incidentally, my favorite guitar player on earth right now. But uh, um, he showed me an old video from one of the very first shows that I played with Enough's Enough. And the back, the banner, the handmade banner and glitter, right? Yeah. I'm sure everybody made one of ours, yeah, right? Yeah. Oh, if we do glitter, it'll be like Kiss. Bring <laughs> uh, <laughs> more glue! Um, and so, uh, uh, um, uh, and originally the band was called E-N-O-U-G-H-Z-N-U-F-F. And Chip right. was already Chip's enough. Uh-huh. And I remember, again, going, you know, because I've always sort of had a little bit of a knack for the, like, branding and, like, making things catchy. And Tori reminded me that I actually changed the name of the band from Enough O-U-G-H right. to E-N-U-F-F. And it was at a photo shoot. And I see the photo crop up every once in a while. And it was the first time that Chip showed me the spelling of the name. And I go, what are you doing? E-N-U-F-F-Z-N-U-F-F. And I remember now, I remember the moment clear as day, because obviously it was a pivotal moment in, in, in at least his life. Because um, uh, his response was, yeah, I've been thinking about doing that. <laughs> of course he did. Doing that? He never thought about that, but sure enough, right afterwards, everything was E-N-U-F-F. Yeah. Oh, and, so that was and, you, Okay. Yeah, well, I mean, and I got songwriting that I didn't have credit for because, you know, and, you know, now I'm 22, I'm hanging with my bros, and I didn't know, like, well, no, you actually wrote that part and put it in the song, and it's like a fundamental, like in Baby Loves You, uh, that's my riff. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right? I, I wrote that riff, and then... And if you listen to the, I, I, I do sell these incidentally, um, because, uh, in the adapt or die world of, uh, COVID America 2020, yeah. um, I do a lot of sessions. I make records out of my bedroom because, you know, I just sure. take, I, I don't have great gear. I've got a good, you know, pre's and whatever. I don't have a lot, but I can make records here for dirt cheap. And that means that the artist doesn't need to recoup Thirty thousand dollars. Yeah, you know, um, so they can get to the point where they're making money, and then I feel like I've done a solid. Plus, I get better at my producing and my engineering chops, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, uh, so, part of what I do to stay alive now is I sell merch, and so in as much as I'm taking care of mom, mom's always been my drop-off point for like I'm moving to some other place. Can you hold on to this for me? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, and I forget what I leave here because I'm I before, you know, I'd be passing through town, I'd go, here's another crate, put it in the garage. Um, And uh, so now I'm, you know, she lost her husband at the end of last year due to cancer, so Hmm. that was more, she's 81, that was more than she could handle. She doesn't have a smartphone. She does email, that's about it. She doesn't drive, you know what I mean? The whole thing. So if I didn't come here, I would have my mom's death on my mind. Yeah, no, you're doing what you have to do there. I'm, I'm say again, please. You're you're doing exactly the what you what you need to do at that time. I I there's no two ways about it. Yeah, and 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 we do we butt heads all the time. You know, I mean, we have the same DNA, and I'm pretty you know I'm pretty I'm pretty <laughs> adamant when I believe something, and now I know where I got it from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, you're 81. You should be tired. Why do you still have energy to fight me? <laughs> 
<laughs> so I gotta do more yoga. But, so, um, so you had so so, uh, so then enough's enough. Wait, no, I gotta do my merch pitch, bro. Okay, do your merch pitch. <laughs> That's all for this week. Join us next week for another episode of the Rock and Roll and Coffee Show podcast, available on all your favorite podcast listening platforms.